Genesis 25, 19, the sons of Isaac. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now we pick up with the generations of Isaac. This section from this chapter until we come to more of a description of the life of Jacob in chapter 28, we have here the generations of Isaac. And then we have a clarification who he is. Verse 19, he is Abraham's son, just as the preceding descendants were right here too. He is Abraham's son, and he became, uh, he was the um, named Isaac. In verse 20, he was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. He was 40 when he married Rebekah, which would have been about three years after the death of Sarah in chapter 23. And in chapter 24, at the end, by the end of the chapter, he is married to Rebekah. And that marriage of chapter 24 took place when he was 40 years old. He waited a, a while, a long time, or Abraham did, to find a wife for him. Then in verse 20, we have a summary of who Rebekah is. We, we have this summary part of what, which is just from the previous chapter, that is, that he's the daughter of Bethuel from Aram, that is the land of the Arameans, specifically Padan Aram, which would be the, the field or the, the flat land, because there were rivers and mountains in that area, but in the flat land area of that territory of the Arameans, which was vast, so he lived from in that part. He's also... or. Um, Rebecca is also 
the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Her brother is mentioned because her brother will become significant in the life of Jacob, which we'll see in the subsequent chapters. And she is given to him as a wife. Well, verse 21, the marriage took place when he was 40. But we notice from chapter 25, 26, that Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So for 20 years, Isaac and Rebekah have no children. 20 years as husband and wife, no children. And just as Abraham had to wait 25 years, Isaac had to wait 20 years. Abraham had to wait 25 years for Isaac to be born. Now Isaac has to wait 20 years for his son Jacob to be born, Jacob and Esau. He, as a godly man, what does he do? Just as his wife does in verse 22, they both pray. They both pray to the Lord that God might bless them with children. Now, men and women, husbands and wives, they have children whether they pray to God or not, right? Whether they are believers or not, because God has blessed mankind with this ability to reproduce. That is a part of his blessing. But the proper place for that blessing to be manifested is in marriage. But then even when one is married, that's not a guarantee of children. Correct? It's not a guarantee. So what should they do? They should pray to the Lord for it. And in this case, we know Isaac was a godly man who prayed. And even she was a godly woman because she prayed to God to understand what was happening to her once she conceived. This is showing also that Isaac and Rebekah, their desire for children, just as with Abraham and Sarah, their desire for children and the fulfillment of that desire came about by the providence of God. It was dependent upon their prayers, their faithfulness to God and the providence of God. It didn't happen automatically lest it not be seen as coming about by faith, right? Uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they lived to be old and they had no children. And they prayed for children and God didn't answer them for a long time, but finally they answered them by giving them John, John the Baptist, right? This happens in scripture to show the importance of faith in God for all things and that God, by his purposes, For whatever his reasons are, he has a reason, he has a purpose in fulfilling his promises. That's the highlight of what's happening here. Verse 21, because he prayed, God answered. Well, he wouldn't have answered in this case unless Isaac prayed, which shows us that God uses these means to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't do whatever is in the world, all things in the world, in a vacuum, but he uses human agents, he uses nature, he uses angels, he uses demons, he uses everything in his creation to accomplish his purposes. And this happened by prayer. But verse 22, the children struggled within her. They struggled. They were fighting within her. She could tell 
that there was a conflict in her womb. And because of the conflict, it disturbs her. It bothers her. She wants to know why this is the case and why she has to experience this. She asks this question, if it is so, then why am I this way? She does this also in chapter 27. In 2746, 2746, and Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebekah was so tormented by the women, the unbelieving women all around her, she did not want Jacob to find a wife from one of them. She didn't want that temptation to occur. And I think in the same way in chapter 25, verse 22, she knows that there's some problem and she is regretting or not looking forward to this conflict and struggle about what is happening in her life. So she wants to know God's will and to do God's will to be able to know what to do and how to handle it when this is happening. Like in chapters 27 and 28, she sends him off to go to find a wife among their relatives. But in in this case, she inquires of God and God answers her. And what is God's answer? 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This is a very important oracle delivered to Rebekah. This is a very important one, and this is a paradigm or an example of the kind of paradigm we need to have when we interpret the Bible. Remember we said that when we interpret the Bible, we can't just look at the things God says in material, physical, visible ways. We can't do that. We should not do that. Because the Bible is not primarily or exclusively a material book about the physical world. It's not that. The physical world is a platform to understand the spiritual world. The physical world is the platform or the premise to understand the spiritual world. And that's true with this promise here, or this oracle, or explanation as to why those two children, two sons, were fighting in the womb. Because they consist of two nations, two peoples who will come from her physically. Two nations or two peoples who will come from her physically. And the two are emphasized and distinguished. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So these two will physically come from her, but they're not going to be together in the sense that they're not going to be of one mind. They're not going to be of one purpose. They're going to be of different minds, of different purposes. And one's going to be stronger, and the older shall serve the younger. The reverse of what usually happens is going to happen here. The older shall serve the younger. Well, the fact that there's going to be two men or two males born is correct. It's physical. 
The fact that they will be two nations, that's true and right. But what does that mean? What's the spiritual point of saying this thing about the physical persons and the physical nations? What's the spiritual point? And the spiritual point is one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. That is, the spiritual point is a reversal of what you expect, a reversal of what you anticipate. Usually the younger serve the older, but not in this case because God has appointed, God has ordained that the older shall serve the younger. So what's the meaning? The meaning is spiritual, which we will see even in the subsequent verses here, that there is a spiritual meaning to all of this. Now, let's make certain that we understand that this is spiritual. And it has to do with their spiritual and eternal life or their eternal destinies. The first example is taken from Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Malachi 1, 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruin. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this and you will say, may the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. God assures the nation of Israel that he loves them. They are doubting it. And then God answers, verse 2, Was not Esau Jacob's brother? These two were the individuals, the brothers, right? They were the two patriarchs who became nations. God says, I loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. God loved the person Jacob, And he hated the person Esau, the person. I'm saying person, individuals. The man Jacob God loved, though he, when he was born, he was unlovable because we're all born in sin. But God did love him in order to save him. But God hated Esau permanently, hated him permanently and eternally. Not only did he do that, but God cursed the whole nation of Esau. How is the nation mentioned? Verses 3 to 5. In verses 3 to 5, God says, I have made his mountains. Well, who dwells there in the land of Esau? That's a separate territory on the eastern side, southeastern side of the Dead Sea, outside of the land of Canaan. God gave Esau, or Mount Seir, to the descendants of Esau, to Esau and his tribe. He gave it to them. But eventually, uh, first normally and naturally, and then eventually, God made that place a desolate place. 
First, naturally, it was a desolate place in the sense that it was mountainous, it was dry, it was barren, it was uh, a desert. But also, God destroyed the nation of Edom by foreigners who came and invaded them and uprooted them. He destroyed them and wiped them out as a nation. And they say, verse 4, Though Edom says, We have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Yes, our enemies have come and invaded us, and we have nothing now there, and our people have been massacred. And yet, we're going to rebuild even from the ruins. And God says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. Verse 4, they may build what I will tear down. I'm going to destroy it again. By the hands of wicked foreigners, I'm going to do it again. And not only will I do it again so that there is permanent waste and desolation there, but people are going to call you, because of you, a wicked territory. A wicked territory. There he's giving a spiritual or moral component to it. You are wicked people. That's why you deserve this barrenness, this desert land. And not only will people call you wicked, I, God, will be indignant, angry with you forever. That's eternal punishment. And not only that, verse 5, your eyes will see this and you will say, may the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. So those on the outside of Israel who do not have the truth of the gospel, may God be glorified when he destroys them, he says. These are the two kinds of nations that God is building up. Not to say that every descendant of Jacob will inherit the kingdom of God, but they have access to the kingdom of God by the word of God. And this is the distinction. This is what God announced in Genesis 25. Now, if that is unconvincing, we may say, somebody may say, well, that's in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament's only about spiritual things. I mean, only about physical things, not spiritual things. The Old Testament is not spiritual and not about salvation. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 9. Romans Chapter 9, verse 10. Romans 9, 10. The Apostle Paul, who is the inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired, reliable and authoritative interpreter, says, Romans 9, 10. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or evil, in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse 10. Is it not true? We just read it in Genesis 25. Rebekah conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. Correct? And verse 11, the twins were not yet born because Rebekah conceived them, felt the struggle, and then prayed to God and God answered while they were in the womb and before they were born. They didn't do anything good or evil yet. Outside of the womb, they didn't do anything. They, didn't, they weren't adults or anything like that. And God told this to Rebekah and Isaac. He told this to them. Why? In order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. 
His choice of what? His choice to save them. He's talking about salvation in Romans chapter 9. He's not talking about choosing a nation like the nation of Israel. The whole context of chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans is personal salvation. The whole context of the book of Romans is the, is the concept and the doctrine of personal salvation. How are we saved from our sins? It's not about anything else. It's fundamentally that. And then in verse 12, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Yes, that's what we read in 20, Genesis 25, 23. The older will serve the younger. Well, what does that mean in Genesis 25, 23? It means that Esau's purpose and existence, both physically and spiritually, is to serve Jacob. That's why he is in existence, to serve Jacob. And you might say, how? Well, to be a test to him, to torment him, to persecute him. Because when we are tested and persecuted, we are sanctified and we are driven to God whenever we have these temptations and persecutions. And then verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Personally, God did so. Taken from Malachi chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. This means that the Apostle Paul is teaching from Genesis and Malachi that the primary central focus of Genesis 25-23 and Malachi chapter 1 is spiritual and about personal salvation, whether of the individual or of the nations, their salvation. Back to Genesis 25, 25 and now verse 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The behold is there because it's always astonishing and amazing when the mother and the midwife and all the rest of the family and friends see twins born. It's amazing and marvelous that that would be the case. And so they weren't yet born, as Paul said. And that's confirmed by verse 24. They weren't yet born. And God said what he said in verse 23, while the twins were in the womb. Now, the first one, verse 25, came forth red. He came out of the womb red all over like a hairy garment. And likely... Um, he, it says he was hairy all over, red with red hair, and therefore they named him Esau. And the name Esau comes from a, a root that means to be hairy, to be full of hair. And this is also astonishing and amazing, right? Yeah. Because often, most often, when babies come out of the womb, they don't have very much hair. Right. Or if they do have a head of hair, within just a day or a very short time, that the hair is gone, and then it starts to grow back after some time. But in this case, he came forth hairy. Astonishingly, amazingly hairy all over. So he was called Esau to commemorate that. Uh, by the way, you might say, this is strange and unusual for people to give names like this based on birth characteristics or based on unusual circumstances 
Well, that often does also happen throughout history in various cultures. People do give these kinds of odd names to their children, right? Sometimes even in English, some people have two last names, right? First and last name sound, but they sound like two last names. Or some might have two first names. And things like that happen. And that's what is happening here similarly in the Bible. To us, it may be odd, but odd things like this happen in all cultures. Verse 26, And afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding onto Esau's heel. That is, Jacob comes forth holding onto Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And so what does Jacob mean? Jacob means um, heel holder or supplanter, a grabber, somebody who take, is trying to take the place of another. Jacob was doing that to his brother Esau's heel. This is interesting because in the subsequent paragraph, he's going to try to supplant Esau. And he does successfully supplant Esau. And he does so throughout his life in different ways as described in the book of Genesis. He supplants. Verse 26, we saw and noticed that Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to him. Remember, it took 20 years for this to take place. 20 years. So, what do we see? Isaac and Rebekah waited a long time for children. But when they did have these two sons, one son was chosen of God and the other was rejected of God. And they were told this before they were born. Before they were born. When people say, I don't want to believe in election, I cannot believe in election or predestination, because that means God does not have mercy and compassion. He's unloving, and he's expecting me to have an unloving belief about my children if they are lost or if they behave as wicked people and unbelievers I can't believe that. It doesn't happen because of God. It must be for some other reason. Their free will. But who had to struggle with this even before any of us? Isaac and Rebecca. Didn't they? They had to struggle with this once she conceived. And God told them the answer to Rebecca's prayer. Once she conceived, they had to come to a realization of that. So if God did it to them, are we any better than Isaac and Rebekah? They have a human nature. They would want to have love and compassion towards their own children, which we see Isaac does towards Esau in the next paragraph. So we would have natural affection, parental affection for our children, human affection for our children. That would be normal. It's natural for us to have that. But just because we have that does not subvert the purposes of God. And it does not subvert the truth of God in relation to individual salvation. We have to have faith in whatever God says. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Living or sitting in tents. That is... He enjoyed being at home. 
He enjoyed being at home, doing things at home and in the house more than outside. But Esau loved to be outdoors, and he was a hunter, a skillful hunter, a very good one. And he loved to do that. He was skilled at doing that. So even though he was adept at hunting, being crafty in the field, who ends up being more crafty than Esau in spiritual matters? Jacob. Jacob had more wit, more keen intellect in terms of spiritual things than Esau. Esau was keen on physical things, but Jacob on spiritual things. And further, in verse uh, 27, when it says he was a peaceful man sitting or living in tents, it ends up that Jacob is forced to go outside. Remember when he has to flee from Canaan to go to Padan Aram and when he goes up there and he meets Laban and then eventually marries Leah and Rachel. Remember that? What does he do as his profession? He's a shepherd. So he has to be outside all the time. He doesn't prefer it, but he has to do it. And he did it at least for 20 years there and for however many years He had to do that in the land of Canaan when he returned to Canaan. So God reversed his circumstances against his natural inclinations, forced him to go through that trial for 20 years and even be cheated for those 20 years by Laban. Verse 28, speaking of natural affections, verse 28 Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac, based on his natural affections for hunting and for game, loved Esau in that way. And Rebekah, on the contrary, since she was a homemaker and Jacob loved to be at home, she taught him how to cook, as we will see, because he makes some stew. She taught him how to cook and to be at home, to handle matters like that. This doesn't mean, and even from verse 27, it doesn't mean that Jacob was lazy or anything like that. It just means what their inclinations were, what their skills and inclinations were, their proclivities to want one thing or the other, inside or outside of the house. I also don't think, in verse 28, it is necessarily a sin for Isaac to love Esau in the way he did, or for Rebekah to love Jacob. We're talking about the physical world. We're not talking about spiritual things. We're talking about physical things. And in that sense, they loved their sons in those particular ways. Verse 29, when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. It says he was famished or weary. He came in from the field, so presumably he didn't catch anything. Though he was a skillful hunter, at this time, at this occasion, he did not catch anything. In 26 26 verse 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. That means while Abraham was alive, there was a famine. And actually, it took place twice. But in Isaac's day, there was also a famine. 
also a famine in the days of Isaac after Abraham had died, which means that it's quite likely that what we're reading about in 25, 27 to 34, when Esau went out to hunt and didn't catch anything, he came home weary, famished, that there was hardly any food around. Probably something like that. He didn't catch anything and came home very hungry. He sees Jacob cooking stew. Verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Jacob is making the food. Esau is very hungry, but I highly doubt that he's about to die. I highly doubt that he's about to die. He, he's just expressing it in very hyperbolic terms. But I highly doubt he's about to die. Because when Jacob is making this stew, could he not have eaten some of it instead of all of it? Could he not have eaten some of it? He's in the family, right? Yeah. Yeah, or couldn't he not find something else there? Yes, there's a famine, but it doesn't mean that they were completely without anything. Because even in Genesis chapter 37, 37 to 50, when Joseph is the second ruler of Egypt, when he's there and there's a famine, what do Jacob and his descendants do in order to acquire food in Egypt? They have to take some money, but they also take some nuts. They take some various nuts and and products from the land of Canaan to use to trade in Egypt to buy food that they don't have in Canaan from Egypt. So they had some kinds of food there, but not all kinds of food because of the famine in Canaan. And I think the same would have been the case here. They would have had something uh, in the house. They would not have had luxury because there's a famine, but they would have had something. And he was not so dependent on this stew that he had to do what he's about to do. And what is that? In verse 30, he wants some of that red lentil stew. Lentils are of different colors. At this point, Jacob is making the stew out of red lentils. Lentils are beans. And he wants that. And because he wanted that, he has a new name. Verse 30, therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means red. It means red. Even some people today, because of their red hair or something, they have a nickname red. And that's what Edom's name was also. So Edom the man, the patriarch, his name was both Esau and Edom. But the nation that came from him was more often called Edom when you read about that nation in the rest of the Old Testament. The the nation of Edom came from Esau. But Jacob, Jacob taking opportunity to enact or conduct the spiritual benefits that he wants from God, and this is to the exclusion of Esau, he sets up verse 31. First, sell me your birthright. First, sell me your birthright. What is the birthright? 
the firstborn, the firstborn typically would possess a double portion of inheritance. And not only of the physical inheritance, but the desire, the great desire of the parents would be that the firstborn would be the main one to receive spiritual blessings and set an example for everybody else to receive spiritual blessings. That's what would be in the birthright of the firstborn. And on occasion, that birthright would be forfeited by the firstborn based on his will or based on his actions, his sins, and then given to another son, to somebody else. It was supposed to be given to the firstborn based on Deuteronomy 21, 15 to 17. It was supposed to be to the firstborn, Deuteronomy 21, 15 to 17, but it might be given up or handed over to somebody else. In Reuben's case, the firstborn of Jacob, he committed adultery. Therefore, Jacob gave Reuben's birthright to Joseph. Joseph, he gave it to him. We see this in Genesis 35, 22 and 49, 3 to 4. It was given up. And this is confirmed in 1 Chronicles 5, 1 to 2. The birthright of Reuben was given to Joseph because of Reuben's sin. Jacob did so. In this case, um, Isaac doesn't do so. Esau does it on his own. That's how much he despised it. It wasn't as though it was taken away from him. He despised it and he did it on his own. Verse 32. And Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? Think about that statement. I am about to die, which I don't think was literally true. I think he is exaggerating the situation. But he's in his mind thinking, well, if death is near, I don't need any of these physical things. You can have it all. What's missing in that reasoning? What's missing in that reasoning? I don't need any of these physical things because I'm about to die. My body's going to go in the grave. So I don't need anything associated with the birthright. What's lacking in his thinking is the spiritual part of it. The spiritual part of the birthright, he wanted nothing to do with that either. He did not want anything to do with the spiritual part of it. He was only looking at the physical and that's why he was willing to give it up. He didn't care about the spiritual part. Jacob wants a confirmation. Verse 33, Jacob said, First swear to me, swear to me by God. So he swore to him, he swore an oath, not a curse, but an oath to God. He swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob received it thereby. Verse 34, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. How long does it take to eat a whole bowl or whatever? Even if you're hungry, if you're hungry, you'll eat it fast. But say no, say no more than 30 minutes, right? 
no more than 30 minutes. So within 30 minutes, he eats and drinks, gets up and goes on his way. He had a happy belly, a happy belly, but his soul was still in jeopardy. His soul was. And the Bible ex- explicitly says it in verse 34. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Not the physical part. That's not the issue. It's the spiritual part. He despised that. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, 12, 12, Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Verses 12 and 13 speak of weak hands and knees and feet and limbs. Weakness there. Remember what Esau said? I am weak. Translated, I am famished. I'm I'm struggling because I haven't eaten in a long time. So what should be done? It should be handled properly. And how is it handled properly? Pursue peace. Pursue sanctification or holiness. Because if you don't do this, you won't see God. And verse 15, don't come short of the grace of God. Don't let a root of bitterness spring up and by it be defiled. Verse 16, do not be immoral or a fornicator, a fornicator or immoral. Don't be a godless person. And who's our example? He's speaking generally so far, but who's our specific example? Esau. Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Right, we just read that. And what we did not read, it takes place in chapter 27, Genesis 27, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, that is the blessing of his father, Isaac, before Isaac died to receive this blessing that was given to Jacob, he was rejected. Though he wanted that blessing with tears, he sought for it with tears, but they were only tears for the physical blessing He found no place for repentance. He did not want to repent. He had sorrow or remorse with tears for the physical blessing, but no repentance for the spiritual blessing. 
Esau was a man of the world, a wild man of the world who did not want his spiritual life subdued and humbled by the mighty hand of God for the salvation of God. He didn't want that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.